Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Brittany Fox-Hover. Brittany is the shelter director at the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society and oversees the adoption program. She started volunteering with MRFRS in 2009 and became a part-time staff person in 2011 while working in finance. She was hired full-time as medical coordinator in 2012 and became shelter director in 2015. She's also an active foster home and likes to specialize in critical care cases. She loves all animals, domestic and wildlife, but is particularly passionate about promoting feline welfare. She currently lives in Maine with her husband, two children, dog, and five cats. Britt, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so very much for having me. Well, this is family. We're having family day at the Community Cats podcast, so yeah. it's great. <laughs> <laughs> As many folks know, obviously, that I've had uh, a lot of experience with Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, very much involved and very passionate about the organization. And Britt has been awesome to stay involved and working hard and providing great leadership for the organization. Britt, I want to first ask you, before coming to MRFRS, what made you a cat lover? Well, I did not grow up with cats. Most people find that very interesting, but I only had dogs. And it was a kitten that my aunt found in a parking lot. He was kind of scratched up and he looked very sad. And she, she rescued him and she brought him to the police station in our town. And no one claimed him. So my husband, then uh, boyfriend at the time, he said, I I'll take him. And he had never had a pet before in his whole life. So we got this kitten. Neither of us knew what to do. But, you know, we kind of figured it out as we went along. And we completely fell head over heels in love with Rupert. He's no longer with us, but he really is my inspiration for finding my passion and my career in my life. So I have a lot to thank him for. From there, Rob and I really learned what wonderful, intelligent, amazing creatures cats are. And um, we wanted to get more involved. We lived in Amesbury at the time and drove by the MRFRS shelter. And we saw the sign and we said, you know, we really, we really got to check this place out. And we applied to volunteer. And the kind of the rest was history. I did volunteer at the Bangor Humane Society up in Bangor, Maine, when I went to college. So I had a little bit of shelter experience. And so at the time, Janet, who was our volunteer coordinator, she said, okay, you have experience. You're going right downstairs and into our, our sick room. <laughs> And our, our quarantine room. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and uh, I, I like a challenge and I really like learning. So for me, it was an opportunity to do that for cats who I had just recently discovered I loved so much and fell head over heels for shelter medicine, working with cats, and just uh, really opened my eyes to a whole new world that I didn't know existed. So, you know, sort of the rest is history, as they say, but cats and feline welfare are something that just so truly important to me. And uh, that's why I'm here. <laughs> 
So as you discovered, the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, maybe share with folks a little bit about the organization and the programs and what makes it different from other organizations that you've been around Yes. So when I started, I didn't have a great idea of um, the animal welfare community and what was going on in other shelters. But when I started at the MRFRS, I saw the cats that the shelter were taking care of. And I really realized that, you know, these are animals that needed a lot of help and a lot of care and really had a wonderful chance to find a home. And the people who cared for them were so dedicated and committed to not only uh, finding these animals homes, but rehabilitating them before they did that. And so the more I worked at the MRFRS, the more I realized that we took in animals that maybe other shelters just didn't know a lot about or didn't have resources to care for. I had interactions early on with feline leukemia cats, feline leukemia kittens. There was a Persian kitty named Muggs who was so sick and he had a lot of problems. And I just really realized that there's a lot of animals and a lot of cats out there that need a lot of help. And that's why the MRFRS uh, was really special to me, was that they were taking animals from our community, other shelters, rescue groups, animals that without MRFRS did not have much of a chance. And so that's really what ignited my passion for taking care of cats and kittens that, you know, just really compromised and need a lot of help. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel that these animals can really live and thrive. So it's really amazing to see that journey and get them there. And MRFRS is really committed to helping them along that journey. And that that is really super important and special to me. So one thing that MRFRS has done quite a bit over the years is, as you've mentioned, the feline leukemia positive cats. What are the greatest challenges when dealing with feline leukemia positive cats? And why is it important that we work so hard to try and get them adopted? You know, I kind of look at the challenges on two major fronts. One of them is that the cats are immunocompromised. So when they're coming into a shelter, which for the most healthy and robust of cats can be a really stressful experience, you know, these kitties have compromised immune systems. So that creates an even bigger challenge to keeping them healthy. And then on the other side of it is adoption recognizing that we are not necessarily a sanctuary, that we are an adoption program for these kitties. So we need to work with people and work with members of the public to make sure people understand the disease and the disease process, make sure they understand what these kitties need, but also show them that these cats look healthy and they look happy because they are when they're not showing signs of their disease and they're sort of in that middle point, they look like a regular cat. And so many people see that. So it's really nice to be able to show them that these animals have such great quality of life, just like a regular cat. And we can get them a home and, you know, a family and that they have the ability to live out their years, whatever they have left, happy and healthy, just like a normal cat. So that's why it's really important to find these guys homes is their quality of life is typically very good when they're not showing signs of the disease. They just look like a regular cat and they deserve our love and our support just like the other kitties that we take in. Is it common that many people when they adopt feline leukemia positive cats and then the kitty does pass away that they tend to come back to adopt more? Yeah, absolutely. We have repeat adopters for the feline leukemia cats. 
I usually tell people I see it go two ways. I see people that adopt the feline leukemia kitties and they lose their first one and they kind of say, you know, this isn't for me. You know, I'm going to come back and get another kitty, but I want, you know, a non-feline leukemia kitty. And of course, we're sensitive to that. But more often than that, we get people that come back and they say, okay, now who needs a home? And those people really inspire me every day. We have a couple of people I can think of offhand who really focus on the feline leukemia kittens that don't have even as long of a lifespan as the adults. And they really are committed to taking these kittens and giving them a family and a home for as long as they have. And those people are really incredible to me. Telecom Consultants is proud to offer all Community Cats podcast listeners a complimentary telephone, electric, and natural gas bill cost savings analysis for their businesses. Our main goal is to save money on these services for businesses on a monthly basis. We truly appreciate the opportunity to be a lead sponsor for this podcast as we support animal welfare. Please call 617-290-3374 for your complimentary analysis. Enjoy the show. Six months ago now, I was in Chicago and I was able to visit the Treehouse new big adoption center. It was wonderful, Treehouse Humane Society. And they have a cat cafe. And in their cat cafe, they have feline leukemia positive kitties. If you could have anything in the world, would that be something that would interest you? Absolutely. Like anything else, it's taking the stigma away from these animals that are are labeled with a disease and being able to go into an area for the public and see these cats running around, playing, being normal cats. I think that is an incredible way for people to understand feline leukemia and to remove that stigma that is attached to them sometimes. I think the biggest, most amazing thing for our volunteers and our staff is that they see the feline leukemia kitties happy and healthy. And I'll admit, when I first started at the shelter volunteering, I didn't understand Feluk. I didn't know feline leukemia. And my husband was mortified to go in our feline leukemia room because he was afraid he'd bring it home to our cat. And it's just over a short amount of time realizing that, okay, the rest of the cats in this building aren't getting it. And these cats look really happy and healthy. And just seeing it with your own eyes is really a truly powerful way to change people's minds. I think a cat cafe is a wonderful way to welcome people in to see the cats and see them thrive. And I think that's fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about the FARS program at MRFRS and what does it mean to the organization and how does it benefit the community? Yeah, FARS is a really important program that I help run. It's an amazing way to be able to keep loving owners and their cats together. And I really over the years doing this work, you know, I think everybody kind of goes into their field, whatever it is, with certain ideas and certain thoughts. And I know I certainly did with Eli and the Welfare. And over the years, I've really changed my mind and changed the way I understand the human-animal bond and the way people love their pets and the way their pets are just so much happier with them than going into a shelter or changing their whole life. And so the FARS program, it's this opportunity for 
our organization to help keep animals in their home. The point of the program is to help animals and owners um, when a cat has a disease or an injury that would otherwise force an owner to give up the cat to get care, we can come in and help offer financial assistance so that the cat can stay with their owner. And doing the shelter work for several years, for so many years, you see the stress and the heartbreak that goes along with surrendering a pet on both sides for the people and for the animal. So being able to prevent that and keep people and their animals together is really, really important. In today's climate, where we see a lot of people not being able to afford their own health care, uh, you think about, okay, then how can they possibly afford the health care for their animals? And so really, there is some assistance for people, but the assistance for pets is, it's obviously getting better, but it's not guaranteed and it's not there. So the FARS program fills a big void and it allows people and animals to stay together. I really feel strongly about it. I really think it's a really positive thing. And I always kind of said, I think it's sort of the trajectory of the future of animal welfare is keeping people and animals together whenever possible. That's great. Actually, just sort of thinking about the two topics we've just covered here, feline leukemia, as well as FARS, I'm going to put my like executive director hat on (laughs) and say, but wait a minute, you know, these cats are going to cost us money. This FARS program is going to cost us money. Are these really expensive programs to run? So for the feline leukemia and the Care for Life program, it is an expense, but it isn't astronomical because like we were talking about before, a lot of the time the feline leukemia cats are pretty healthy until sort of the feline leukemia goes into that terminal stage. So, you know, it's really not a super huge undertaking. The FARS is definitely a bigger undertaking because these are cases where cats might need dentals that are well into the thousands, or they may have been hit by a car and need, you know, major orthopedic surgery. But until I think as a society and in general, we can come up with a better solution to these huge astronomical medical costs when animals are sick or injured. These animals' lives matter. They matter to their owners and they matter in general to our organization. So as much as I really think that MRFRS is wonderful and major player in animal welfare as the big picture, I think one of our major strengths is acknowledging the individual animal, the individual cat or kitten and the individual person as well. Well said, well said. And the other reality is that many of those FARS cats are going to need the assistance anyway if they were being surrendered to the organization. Absolutely. We'd be paying for that FHO or that amputation either way. So it kind of all washes in the end. Before I go on to actually talk about adoptions as a shelter director, that should be what you spend a lot of your time involved with, et cetera. This will be sort of my own version of, uh, I don't know, feline disease jeopardy. I'll give you one more <laughs> one more topic to touch upon and you get to choose. So there's FIP, ringworm, or FIV. 
You can choose one of those topics if you have anything you want to share with our listeners. How do I just choose one of those topics? (laughs) I could talk all day about all three of those topics. Let's see, which one do I feel the most strongly about? Well, I feel with the FIV, so I think I'm going to pick FIV because for a very long time, MRFRS has been on the forefront of taking these animals in, sheltering them, and finding them homes. When for a long time, especially early on in my career, we had so many shelters asking us to take them as transfers. What is sort of special about MRFRS is that from the very beginning, we've kind of said, okay, let's be open-minded. Let's think out of the box. And so with FIV, we had our FIV positive cats running loose with our regular cats and we adopted them out as regular cats. And we talked to people about the FIV, sort of the whole, you know, they can be a little bit more prone to the dental disease and they're immunocompromised. So having that conversation with adopters, but, you know, knowing FIV cats that have lived to 20, we could send the cats into their homes with the best intentions, knowing that there's a very good chance they were going to be fine and live a long life. What I think is really incredible is that we are not getting those requests for FIV transfers on any level that we were getting before. And I think, again, it's a testament to the fact that people see FIV cats out with the other cats. They see FIV cats living long, healthy lives. And I think that has changed the hearts and minds of many people, many shelters, many veterinarians. I think that's really powerful. And so, of course, we still get FIV positive kitties and they're still living out with all our other cats. But, you know, I think it's a great example of sort of the way we have approached cats and kittens that are different and sort of found them outcomes that were really the same as a normal cat and then seeing that that was successful and worked out well. And of course, there's I think there's a published study now about FIV cats cohabitating with non-FIV cats and no evidence of transmission. So I think that also helps a lot. You bring up a good point. As a shelter director, you're dependent upon a lot of resources and support with regards to protocols, cleaning, various diseases. What are your resources that you turn to? We are really lucky to work with a couple of really incredible veterinarians who really strive to keep learning. They want to know the next thing, you know, the next new research, the next interesting thing that comes out. And so for us, I think that has been a huge resource because these uh, veterinarians we work with are very, very invested, very, very smart, and love to learn new things. They're not stuck to some, you know, sort of, this is the way I learned it in vet school, and this is the way it's always going to be. They're hungry for knowledge, and they're eager to share that with us and help our cats in that way. The UC Davis Corbett School of Veterinary Medicine, they have incredible resources. That's kind of how I got kickstarted and sort of knowing what was going on around me were those resources from there. But yeah, for the most part, you know, just kind of staying on top of the new research coming out. You and I share a lot of new findings and research together. But what really is key is our veterinarians are super enthusiastic about learning new things. That helps a lot. Let's talk a little bit about adoptions. Your adoption team, you have increased the adoptions quite substantially, I think, over the last several years at MRFRS. Would you like to share with us any of the sort of special campaigns that you do over the course of the year? We sort of chug along as normal, but like everywhere else, we get really busy in the spring and in the summer. 
we have had kind of pop-up adoption events here and there, and we have found that fee-waived is really the way to go. Anything sort of less than that is not very effective. During the spring and summer months, we sort of do those on an ad-needed basis if the shelter population just gets higher than we're able to have capacity for. But we do have one adoption event scheduled every year. We've been calling it Black Friday. We tried it on uh, Saturday this year, but it's the weekend following Thanksgiving. And this past adoption event, we sent home 33% of our population, which is really good. We really have successful adoptions. The funny thing about it was the day before the adoption event, we actually did more adoptions than the day of the event. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure what that was about, but it was just really awesome to see. We got homes for a couple of special kitties too during that time. And that sort of is a big draw for us to do those events. It's an awesome opportunity to find homes for kitties that sort of need a little bit more support or understanding. If folks are interested in finding out more about the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, or if they had any follow-up questions, how would they do that? Well, we have a really nice website, uh, which is mrfrs.org. It's the acronym for our name. And that website is, it's like a treasure trove of resources and information. And then we have sort of a general email address. It's info at mrfrs.org. And Our shelter staff checks that and that sort of, you know, way to get in touch with us and uh, we can kind of funnel inquiries wherever they need to go. That's great. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? You know, I think the biggest thing is that I really truly believe that the future of sort of animal welfare, feline welfare is trying to keep people and animals together while recognizing that I think there's always going to be a smaller place, hopefully for sheltering, but one that exists and animals always need a safe place to go. We definitely operate in our shelter. Whenever we can try to keep cats and people together, we do. That's a huge part of our intake program. That's a huge part of what our adoption coordinator does. But at the same time, we recognize that there has to be a safe place for animals to go when people just can't keep them. So our mindset has definitely changed over the years. And I think it's what makes us a lot stronger. I think our staff is really all on board with trying to do the best thing for the animal, whatever that might be. So I really just think that's the direction that animal welfare is heading in general. And I think that's the direction our organization is is kind of heading towards too. And I know for today's show, we were really focusing in on the feline leukemia and FARS programs. But when you say, you know, whatever that cat may need, MRFRS has a cat mobile program as well as also a spay neuter program once a month MASH style TNR clinic that is free for feral cats. So spay and neuter is also a huge topic within the organization. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, we will be exploring sort of ways to be proactive and spay neuter is the most proactive thing you can do. And also helping owners stay on top of medical stuff for their cats. So what I mean by that is getting regular exams and having access to that medical care so that $1,000 dental doesn't have to wait and be that substantial of a process. It can be that people are getting their animals seen sooner and so it's less. So, you know, preventative medicine is really important. And I think that's another direction that spay-neuter, our organization, everything is going towards. Britt, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. 
thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 